Have you ever been in a dark place before? Maybe under a lot of pressure, a lot of stress? Could it be that God was using that time to make something beautiful and unbreakable in us? If you could turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and if you found that, maybe if you could stand with me, we'll read together. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, if you're able to stand. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll read verses 7, 8, and 9. All right, if you're there, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Lord, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this afternoon. Thank you so much for all you've done for us. God, teach us something from these few verses. And thank you, Lord, for allowing us to have this building to worship you here in Surrey, British Columbia. We have a, a big task ahead of us. But Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today and help us to be all that we can be for your honor and glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Now, nothing quite sparkles in life like a diamond. Diamond maybe is something a lot of people uh, choose to have, want to have. If you have lots of money, people like to flash and shine their diamonds, you know, their necklaces or whatever it is. It's a, sign, it's a status, it's a, a flex, whatever you want to call it. But they aren't just pretty to look at. Diamonds are also the hardest natural substance known to man. In fact, the word diamond comes from a Greek word that means unbreakable. Unbreakable. <laughs> I didn't mean to look this way. I was just, you know, I was just, yeah, it was a cough. <laughs> it was a cough. In, uh, uh, only another diamond can make a scratch on a diamond. They are so tough that they sometimes are used in tools for cutting, grinding, and drilling. If you play Minecraft, you know that the, the diamond tools, that's what you want. Diamonds are rare and expensive because they form only under very special conditions. And I have a, a little picture for you here. We're going to go back to school. I don't even know if you can see that. If you can't, then just pretend that you can. A diamond is made from pure carbon, like graphite, which is uh, what we use in your pencil lead. But in order for this diamond to form, extreme pressures and incredibly hot temperatures are needed over a long period of time. Now, I'll explain the chart here in just a second, but keep it up there. This usually happens about 100 miles or so below the Earth's crust. So volcanoes make what some people would call good diamond factories. When the volcano erupts, the diamonds way down below are brought or shot closer to the Earth's surface. So, in a very dark place, under a lot of pressure and stress and heat, 
something beautiful and unbreakable begins to form. You have the diamonds that start to form by these uh, kimberlites underneath. After pressure and lots of heat, they start to make their way to the top. You see that crater zone there. When a volcano erupts, it really just cones and brings these things up to the surface. Now, many times, actually, I have a, let's see if we can do this without blinding anybody. They shoot up to the surface here. Oftentimes, diamonds find themselves in these little rivers and riverbeds. They start to run down and miners sometimes will get their, they'll start, they'll try to pan and they'll find gold in these things. But also, diamonds can find their way through rivers and crevices. And when you watch and see the process of how a diamond is formed, it requires, because they're so strong, it needs incredible amounts of stress and pressure to make them the hardest substance that we have on earth here today. A carrot, not a carrot that grows from the ground, but a, a diamond carrot is used to measure how much a diamond weighs. One carrot equals to 200 milligrams. That's about the size of a raindrop. That's one carat. Now, the biggest diamond ever found, I had just had to keep digging because it just, you know, just makes sense. What, what was the biggest diamond ever found? It's a very popular diamond found in 1905 called the um, Kulinin, Kulinin diamonds. Probably saying that wrong, but it was found in 1905 in a mine in South Africa. It was, guess how many carats it was? 3,106 carats. Now, that still doesn't weigh very much. That's still looking at just under two pounds. But a two-pound weight, I mean, the diamond was massive. And in fact, this diamond today is, was, that diamond was cut up into about 100 different pieces. And a lot of them are in this next picture here. A lot of them are right here in the, uh, the royal crown here in Britain. And if you look to the, on that scepter on the right, that is the largest cut of the diamonds inside the royal scepter. 530 of those 3,000 carats is what makes that jewel in that scepter there. It was given as a gift to royal Britain. To Britain. Diamonds are fascinating. They're interesting. I have much to learn about them myself. In fact, the first time I ever even considered studying a diamond, you can imagine, was when I was deciding whether or not I should get engaged or not. Actually, I already decided that I would get engaged at that time. I began to look up diamonds and cuts, and I was fascinated. I didn't know anything. I still don't really know too much. Diamonds are fascinating. But now come back to our passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 7. It says here, but we have this treasure this treasure. What is this treasure it's talking about? Well, when you read the verses prior, the context here is the gospel. We have this treasure, this Christ. If you look back in verse 3, it says, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them who are lost. The context here is, is Christ, the gospel. We have this treasure in us, are these earthen vessels. We're not necessarily worthy to have this treasure, but verse 7 that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We have a special treasure, but only because of the excellency of God that we even are able 
to bear such a treasure. And we come to verse 8. Because of God, verse 8 and 9 are possible for Christians here today. Because of God, that's the key. We can learn, we can be unbreakable, so to speak, like a diamond is unbreakable. I mean, it, it mean, no, it's the hardest substance known to man. We can be similar to this diamond if we can utilize the power of God within us. Have you ever been in a dark place before? Maybe under a lot of pressure, a lot of stress? Could it be that God was using that time to make something beautiful and unbreakable in us? When you feel as if you're being pressed on every side by trouble, don't give up. Trust in Him, especially when difficult times come. And if we trust in God, we can be unbreakable because, first of all, in verse 8, troubles will not defeat us. Look at verse 8. It says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We can be unbreakable because when troubles come our way, it won't defeat us. Because we all go through troubles in life. I don't need to preach a sermon on troubles. We all go through it. Different ways, different avenues. We come from different backgrounds and different workplaces and jobs and political situations. We all come from different places in life. We all go through troubles. But when those troubles come, they don't have to defeat us because of the power of God. Now the word trouble in this verse, in verse 8, gives us this impression of a person in a very crowded room. Very crowded room, and you're getting pushed and shoved and pressed together on every side. Maybe you've been in crowded rooms like that. Anybody claustrophobic? You try to stay away from crowded rooms like that. Maybe you've been in situations. Uh, I think the crowdest place I've ever been to, we went to Disneyland once, Christmas, for during Christmas time. And we will never do that again, even Disney itself. But we were there, and I mean, it was so bad. In fact, I was, a, my, I was holding on to my dad's I was just a little kid. Actually, even at my age, I'd still hold on to my dad like this. But I was a little kid, and the crowd was, I was holding on to him so tight. And even the crowd was so tight, I, I lost his hand for a second. And that's a story for another time. Uh, but he did find me in the end, in case you were wondering. He found me. But we, sometimes when you're in a crowd and you're getting pushed and pressured from all sides and all directions, it's kind of like this diamond that's being formed underground. The immense amount of pressure getting pushed. And look what the verse says in verse 8. We are troubled on every side. Sometimes you've been in situations where every angle, every, I mean, up, down, from the top, around, it seems like troubles are hitting us left and right. It's dark. It seems like there's maybe even no way out. If we trust in Christ, we could actually learn to grow through the troubles that we may face in life. The key word is in Christ. Like we says in verse 7, of the power may be of God. It is God which worketh in us. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, if you know it, say it with me, not by might, 
nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It is not by our mights or our power, but by the spirit of God. When we go through troubles in life, if you try to do it all by yourself, the pressure just might get too great for you. Sometimes people, you could say crack, or they, they, just, they can't take the pressure because God sometimes will put us in a position where it's, it's difficult, it's so difficult that the only way to get out is to reach up and say, Lord, hold my hand and bring me through this trial. Sometimes troubles come our way so that we will look up to God and remember God. Maybe we've gone through our life and things are going pretty well and you've just forgotten God. Troubles come and remind us, oh Lord, I remember you. It's sad though that sometimes it takes a trouble in our life to remember God. But if we, through the power of God, go through troubles, as I said, number one here, troubles will not defeat us. But not just troubles will not defeat us. Look at verse 8. It says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Not only can troubles not defeat us, but confusion will not despair us. You've been in situations in life, perhaps, where you've been confused. Or the word here in verse 8 is perplexed. Anybody ever been confused before? Silly question. We all have, right? We all had times where we're just like, why did that just happen? How did that happen? Sometimes we even looked up to the Lord and said, Lord, why did you let this happen? Did, were you not paying attention, Lord? Of course he always is. But there are times where we get confused in life. Sometimes trying to drive through Vancouver is confusing in life. Trying to drive through cities you're not used to, it's confusing. You get turned around. And I know it's, I need to go there, but there's one-way street. I have to go this way, and I have to go around the block to get there. How? Can you even remember the days before Google Maps? Can you even remember? Can you fathom? How, how, did, we, how did we get around how did we, do you, I don't, the, the kids here have no idea what I'm talking about, but for those of you older, I mean, you'd literally, when you're on the phone, you'd have to say, yeah, I'm coming over, and this is, this was the following statement. Okay, you got your pen and paper? You could write down the address, but that doesn't do anything. <laughs> I mean, the address doesn't help until you get on the street, but the address doesn't get, help you get to the street. It was, okay, now listen here, you're going you're gonna to go up. You know, you're gonna go up the highway. You're gonna turn right. There's gonna be a big oak tree. You just you see the oak tree, and you're just you're just gonna turn right there. I don't remember the name of the street. It's like Oak Street or something. But anyway, when you see the tree, you turn right, and then there's gonna be this really fun dog playing outside. He's gonna be barking. If you see that dog, you've gone too far. You're gonna have to back, turn her back around. And these are the instructions, and you're writing everything down. Dark barking dog too far. Oak tree, maybe Oak Street. I don't know. And you write down all this information, and you still get halfway there. And you got to call and say, hey, remember I was supposed to meet for dinner an hour ago? Yeah, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you live. How did we find the, coffee, the, the newest coffee shop down the street? I don't really even know. When we were on deputation, we were missionaries uh, driving around America. This was back in, doesn't matter. It was back in uh, uh, 2003, 2004, something like that. And we, might, we just bought our first cell phone. The, the Nokia, right? The one that's the one that's unbreakable. Uh, that thing has been through it all, and it's still alive. And it had that cool game, Snake. 
Do you know the, the snake game? Man, I used to just beg my parents to play that. The battery would last for like 12 hours too. I mean, it didn't, wasn't showing anything, I guess. We had that, but that's all we had. There was no internet data or anything. So we would travel all around America and we had the Atlas. Some of you don't have the privilege of knowing how to navigate through America or through your country on an Atlas. It was this book about this big and we'd pull it out. And we could not lose this atlas. If we lost this atlas, we could not. And I remembered my dad teaching me, okay, son, you're going to get us to the next church. And it's like four states away. So what do we do? Like, okay, looks like we're going to have to go up this street, turn right. Oh, what page is this on? A5. And you have to turn to A5. And then you take your looking. Son, X is coming. Where is it? Yeah, yeah, dad, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. Times were tough back then. Maybe perhaps the way of the physical map is gone, but we still need a map to guide us through life, right? Maps, even Google map will fail us. I've got stories about that, but that's not what we're talking about here today. We go through life and sometimes you just don't know which direction to go. Do I go left? Do I go right? Do we say yes to this or no to this? What decision do I make? What is right? What is wrong? Sometimes we just want to go back to the days when we were kids. And when we didn't know what to do, what do we do? Mom and dad, what do I do? Uh, do this. Okay. And we do it. But then eventually we have to be the ones making the decisions. And when someone comes up to us and says, what do I do? And you think, what would my mom, what would my mom and dad have said? What would they have done? I don't know what to do. The Bible says here in verse 8, we are perplexed, but not in despair. You can go through life and have moments of confusion, and that's okay. It's okay to be confused at times, to be a little perplexed. You can't, we don't know the future. We don't know everything in life. You're going to come to moments in your life where you just, you just don't know what to do. And when these moments come through Christ, through his power, we don't have to be in despair. We don't have to throw up the white flag. We don't have to give up. Because troubles cannot defeat us through Christ. And confusion will not despair us. Because if we trust in God, we don't have to live in despair. When we're lost and confused. We don't have to live in a state of despair and hopelessness. We can look to Christ to get us out of these situations. To get us out of these times of confusion. Not only will troubles not defeat us and confusion not despair us, but through Christ, look in verse 9. Persecuted, but not, what's that word? But not forsaken. Troubles will not defeat us, confusion will not despair us, and persecution will not deter us. It will not deter us. Do you know what Christ told his disciples to do? When a person or an entire city refused to listen or began to persecute them. Do you know what Christ told them to do? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. He already knows. Matthew chapter 10. When, because God knew this was going to happen. Jesus at one time grabbed his disciples together. He was about to send them out two by two to go into the cities to preach the gospel and he gave them some instructions. 
only take this and don't take this and when this happens, do this and when it happens, do this and oh, and when you get persecuted, when people don't want to listen to you because it's going to happen, when people make fun of you and when a whole city is against you, what do you do? Look at Matthew chapter 10 and verse 14. Matthew 10 and verse 14. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, what's his last phrase? Shake off the dust of your feet. It's a, it's a phrase. When, when they won't listen to you, you just sort of shake the dust and just go to the next place. Just, just move on. Interesting thing to say. Notice he didn't say, you stamp your feet and you argue and yell back. What you do is you use force or anger. Jesus said, look, if they won't listen, then just find someone that will. So, guess what? Persecution came because if you're a Christian here today, persecution will come. What did they do? Now look to Acts chapter 13. Look, look ahead a few books to Acts chapter 13. If you want to see a book on persecution, this is the one, Acts. Look at Acts chapter 13 and verse 49. Acts chapter 13 and verse 49. I'll start reading. It says, And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Verse 50. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. Well, Jesus said this would happen. People wouldn't listen. The whole city now is against them. Verse 51. But, say it with me, they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came into Iconium. And verse 52 says, And the disciples were filled with anger. Is that what it says? Filled with what? Joy. And with the Holy Ghost. Interesting. Persecution is, it's, when you serve the Lord, there will always be those who will be opposed to you. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul tells Timothy, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. When you stand up for God and you live for him, people aren't going to like that. People are going to oppose you. They're going to call you with this, and they're going to say you're that, and they're going to tell you you shouldn't be this, and oh, you're that. They're going to say everything they can to deter you from continuing your pursuit in serving God. But when you're persecuted, you don't have to be deterred from your work. Because when troubles come, they won't defeat you. When confusion comes, you won't despair you. When persecution comes, it won't deter you if you trust in God. The disciples turn a terrible situation into an experience filled with joy. How did they do that? Because they listened and trusted in God. We don't have to let persecution deter us from living our life for God because God promised that persecution will happen and when it does, keep on going for Him. 
and in verse 9. Back to our passage here, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 9. We end with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 9, Paul continues and says, Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not, what's the word? Destroyed. Troubles won't defeat us, and confusion will not despair us. Persecution will not deter us. And lastly here, losses will not destroy us. Losses. When we lose from time to time. Verse 9, the phrase is cast down when we're, when we're, in a sense, when we're thrown to the ground. There are times in life where we, we call it, you know, we, we, we lose. Or you, you, sometimes in life you just kind of have to, as they say, take an L. You just kind of have to take the loss sometimes. You can't win everything in life. Sometimes you just won't get your way. Mainly because it probably wasn't God's will. Sometimes we just don't get our way. Sometimes we just don't get the answer from the Lord that we're hoping for. And it feels like a loss to us. Sometimes people or the world seems to win and sort of knock us down from time to time. Sometimes we pray for a loved one to be healed, but they just don't get healed. Perhaps an accident happens. I think of my parents when their house caught fire and lost, you know, 60% of their stuff. Uh, we've had people in our church go through the same thing, house fires. Sometimes accidents happen, an automobile accident. Maybe a job is lost, a car breaks down. We've all gone through these troubles where we just, we kind of, we lose, so to speak. Or it seems like a loss to us. We, we get cast down and something big happens in our life. Sometimes we just lose little battles. Sometimes they're big to us. But if we trust in God, these losses won't destroy us. Because sometimes when we get cast down, it destroys people. They just don't know how to get back up. And some losses are big. When you lose a loved one, when you lose a job, money, when children are involved, sometimes in life, battles we are fighting, we lose, and they really affect us. But through Christ, these losses don't have to destroy us. Are they hard? Yes. Are they difficult? Absolutely. But can we get through them? Yes, we can. And by the way, we are going to lose some battles from time to time. You can't win everything. That's just the life that we live. We learn it as a kid. You go play sports. Sometimes you lose sports. You learn that sometimes through losing, what, is that, what should that losing do? The, the, the competitive person the, the athlete, the Olympians, when they, the only way they got to where they were is they lost multiple times. They kept losing and losing. And what do they say? I got to get better. And it pushes them. If they just were always winning as a kid, always winning as a teenager, they would stop trying. But it's those losses that challenge us to better ourselves. It challenges us. Are they tough? Are there huge setbacks sometimes in life? Oh, there are. But when we lose. When we get cast down, when we get knocked down, we can get back up. We can get back up for God.
Back in 1990, I was the year I was born, actually. This happened in February 1990. This was before I was born. One of the biggest, well, a boxing match took place in early 1990. Now, I don't follow boxing. I don't, I'm not recommending anybody here does, but this story ties in. And uh, here it, it, there's uh, the boxing world. There was a huge boxing match about to take place. Buster Douglas versus Mike Tyson. Maybe you don't know those names. Maybe you've heard the name Mike Tyson with the ear. I don't know. But this was back in 1990, and these two were about to step into the arena and fight for the, uh, uh, the champion. I don't know exactly what weight division they were in, because I don't really care. But this fight is considered to be one of the most amazing fights of all time for this reason. Now, Mike Tyson went into this fight undefeated heavyweight champion at this time. He was 37 and 0. Never lost a fight, never been knocked down. Mike Tyson was by far considered, at this point in boxing history, the best fighter in the world, the best boxer in the world. Pound for pound. Now, Douglas, his opponent, eh, not too many people knew about him. Now, he was a good boxer. His record was actually pretty good. He was 29 and 4, and he had one tie. 29 4. That's still, in my books, that's still pretty good. But nobody really knew who this guy was. Everyone knew Mike Tyson. And the odds against Douglas were 42 to 1. Basically, nobody expected this guy to even compete with the great Mike Tyson. Now, Mike Tyson had some really big fights ahead of him. Going into this match, he was going to fight real-time boxers like Evander Holyfield, George Foreman. Maybe you know these names. I, I vaguely know them. But these are the fights he was looking forward to, the, the guys he was trying to be like and even overcome. He was getting calls to do other famous things and wrestle with other famous people. Money, fame, and power were at Tyson's grip. He was undefeated. He was at the top of his game. All he had to do was get through this little fight with Douglas that he reviews later showed he wasn't really taking too seriously. Well, when the fight got away, it was a 10-round fight. They were boxing away and Tyson, the first several rounds, just didn't look like himself. He didn't even look like he was trying. He didn't even look like he wanted to be there. He was, his dodgers were slow, and he was taking a few more hits than normal, and Douglas was actually winning through the first seven rounds. He had more, he had more uh, punches, and everything seemed to be going Douglas' way, and Tyson just looked like he just wanted to get out of there. Well, round eight happened, and the Mike Tyson that everybody was hoping for came out. He got stronger. He got quicker. He got faster. And in round eight, Mike Tyson brought an uppercut that all of a sudden sent Douglas straight to the ground. The crowd was cheering. Nobody would care about Douglas. They were, ah, they were cheering for Tyson. This is who they were waiting for this whole time. Oh, perhaps he was just putting on a show. He was just trying to drag the fight out to make more money. Who knows? But Tyson was back, and Douglas was on the ground, and it was a good hit. He connected well. And when Douglas hit the ground, he was laying flat on his back. 
the, immediately the ref came over to him and was counting down one, two. And if you know the story, when you, if you get to 10, you're over. If you can't stand up and prove to the ref that you're okay, the ref will call the fight. Three, four, five. He's counting, and at five, Douglas stand, sits up. Not standing up yet, but he sits up. And off to the corner, there's a whole section cheering for Douglas, and they're cheering him. Get up, get up, get up. Douglas, you can tell it was a good hit. He's wiping himself. Six, seven. At seven, Douglas is standing up. He's a little bit shaky. Eight. And right at nine, he stands up straight. And he looks at the ref. And he says, I'm good. I'm good. And the ref has him do a few things. Like he tells him to go over here and go over here and follow my finger. Make sure, you know, the concussions and all that stuff. And at 10, the ref says, okay, get together. Now, Douglas was woozy. He was, he was back. The crowd knew he was over. And right as the ref said, fight. Mike Tyson came in strong, and right as he was about to swing, ding, 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 saved literally by the bell. <laughs> Round eight had finished. The crowd was, ah! I mean, that was the moment. The hit was coming in to finish the fight. Tyson didn't want to be there anyway, and Tyson was getting pushed back to the locker, saying, you're lucky, you're lucky, and he put him back in his corner, and Douglas now sitting there, probably thinking, well, <laughs> it was a good fight until now. He's shaking. He doesn't know what. To, he's, he's weary. His coach is yelling in his ear. I don't know what he's saying, but whatever he told them did something. When round nine came up, Douglas stood up, and the energy was back. He was ready. He looked sharp again. He didn't look like he just got knocked down. He was quick on his feet. He was fast, and he was still slow. The, they were getting tired, but through round nine, he survived round nine. Ding, 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 ding. Final round. Round 10 is up. Douglas had a lot more points up until that knockdown, so they're pretty even right now score-wise. No one thought Douglas would even survive up to round 10, much less beyond two feet. Well, round 10 came around. Tyson's looking pretty tired. Douglas is tired. They're going back and forth for the first couple of seconds, exchanging jabs and blocks. And then the unthinkable happened. Douglas, some would call a lucky shot, some would call a perfect shot, but Douglas snuck in a quick uppercut jab that sent Tyson to the ground for the first time in Tyson's career ever. He had never touched the canvas, so they say. But when Tyson hit the ground, Tyson did not get back up. One, two, three, all the way to ten. The ref waved it off, and the crowd was breathless. <sighs> 42 to 1, all that money that was spent on Tyson, no one won that day. Douglas did what some people consider the greatest upset in sports history. The greatest upset. No one really knew too much about him. And in fact, this was the fight that sent Mike Tyson down a spiral in his career. His first loss ever. He had never lost. After this, he struggled with, uh, he struggled with certain things. He struggled to get back up. His next fight, he would lose that fight. 
He eventually got in trouble with the law, found himself in prison, would come back, and Tyson was never the same after this fight. The story isn't about him. The story is about a guy who found a way to get back up. They asked him afterwards, Douglas, how did you get back up? Douglas was laying on the canvas. He said part of, him was part of his mind was saying, you're done. <laughs> you're, even if you get back up, you're just going to come right back to the ground. And the other part said, but you never know. You never know. I have to keep trying. And you know, we go through life sometimes. Sometimes we are the underdog. No one knows who we are. No one knows our name. We're not famous. We don't, nobody knows who we are. We're going up against people who seem stronger, who seem smarter. But what those people have, we don't. What we have that those people don't have is we've got a great God on our side who's yelling at us, get back up, get back up. You know, we go through the Christian life sometimes with troubles. Sometimes we're confused. Sometimes we're persecuted. And sometimes we even get knocked down. We lose. But through Christ, we can always get back up. Because that's the kind of God that we serve. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.